Hi, I'm Michael. I'm a small business owner. I'm an investor. I'm an improv artist. I'm very, very neurotic. And I'm always looking for something new and interesting to entertain me. I'm a TV host and I'm your host right now for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It's a Dweebs Global production where we offer free resume help, mental health assistance, you name it. We have mentors from around the world and it's completely free. Dweebsglobal.org. Free. I swear it's free. So anyone we have, uh, we have, we have help standing by. Um, today, I am, uh, this is gonna be a great episode for anyone looking to work in politics or simply trying to understand how it works. Cause I am here with someone that I have great respect for. His name is uh, David Harrington. David spent the first half of his career representing the people. First as the mayor of Bladensburg, Maryland then county council member for Prince George's County, Maryland and finally a state Senator for Maryland. David is now the CEO of the Prince George's County Chamber of Commerce, which in some ways is, is very opposite from, from the politics work you did, at least from an outsider point of view. Um, for those that are not familiar, Prince George's County, it borders Washington, DC, and it's the largest and one of the most affluent African-American majority counties in America. So welcome, David. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Glad to be here. Yeah. So we've, we go way back. We've known each other for... Oh, wow. I'll say at least nine years. Uh, I've been at the chamber for about nine years and you were there when I first came on board. Yeah, that's right. I was there before you. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, well, you were you were born and raised in Prince George's County? No, no, I was born and raised in New York City. Oh. Um, yeah, and I came to the D.C. area um, probably about in the 1974 four thereabouts, because uh, I, I, I came here to attend Howard University. Okay, and you never went back to New York? I never went, yeah, I had some summer, but but yeah, after I graduated from Howard, I just decided to stay here. In fact, one of the um, signs that you've made it um, from your parents' view and, and from several New Yorkers is that you were able to move out of New York, right? So, <laughs> um, so yeah, from, from there, I was, I was a successful kid, right? Isn't the, the rest of the world, if, if you make it to New York and you make it in New York, then you've succeeded? Except if you were born and raised there, then it's like, okay, so, all right, you know, see, see if you can make it outside of New York, right? <laughs> you know, I lived in New York for 10 years, so I... Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, I loved it. I never thought I was going to leave. I thought I was there for good. I, I went yeah, there. I miss it. I miss it in many ways. The food, the, the atmosphere, the, you know, just being in the city. Like, I love shows that... Um, uh, just show New York, right? Because I can say, oh, yeah, I know that. I know that. You know, I tell my wife that every time. I say, oh, yeah, I know Vigo Park. I know. <laughs> so, yeah. So you moved down to Prince George's County. You went to Maryland and Howard University? No, I went to Howard. Okay. Um, and then I, I stayed in the area, but I did a brief stint. I got my master's at the Miami University of Ohio um, and did work in, in, in public policy there. Then I came back here and have been here ever since. Did you always know you wanted to get into politics? No, I really didn't. I, I've always liked politics, but I never thought about you know, running for office um, until we moved to Bladensburg. And um, there were things that were just happening there that I just thought, you know, I tried to be, a, you know, tried to be an active citizen, but I thought that it, that wasn't enough. That wasn't gonna bring about the change I thought was needed in the town. And so silly me, I decided to run for mayor of Bladensburg and um, I won by a whopping margin of two votes. How many votes were there? 
there was like over, um, I'm close to 800. And um, I forgot the exact count, but I thought I won it hands down. And then you know, they announced the count and it was only a two vote margin. And I thought for sure there was gonna be a recount or a runoff or something, but uh, I ran against incumbent. And um, she, you know, the next day she just packed the bags and left. <laughs> so, yeah. That's why I can't imagine not. <laughs> I mean, that seems like the right time for, for a recount. I've seen a lot of people yeah, recounts I, I recently. Just, uh, no, I just assumed it was going to be a recount. And, um, you know, because they were hand ballots. So it wasn't machines. Right? It was just, you know, they counted by hand. And, you know, and I, I was wondering why it was taking so long. Like it was really taking a long, long time to announce the winner. And um, then figured out why it was just two votes. It sounded like she didn't really want the job. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suspect. I think I did her a favor, actually. <laughs> so, so what, what was going on in the community that you really wanted to, to change or be a part so, of? Um, you know, there really wasn't, you know, the town was shifting, like in, in, in the most of Prince George's County, this was around 1995. And so Prince George's County was seeing a demographic shift for many uh, people in Washington, D.C., and then particularly African-Americans and other people of color were moving into Prince George's County because you can get this amazing house that you couldn't get in Washington, D.C., and so there was a middle-class movement into Prince George's County and, and including places like Bladensburg. I got a wonderful home, you know, Bladensburg. And, um, um, but, the, but the town council and the town, the, the infrastructure town didn't represent the demographic shift. And so when I tried to make ovations of, hey, you know, we should, we should do something about this. You know, I was just rebuffed, frankly. And I said, okay, well, the only way it's gonna be changed um, is if I run. And the other reason why I ran, I, I had young children, very, you know, my, my kids who are now grown um, were, were babies and I used to love taking them to the town park, right? And the town, and they just, it was just dilapidated. It was filthy. And the, the times I would go to the town and say, look, you know, can you clean up this park? And you again, you say, well, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. And I just thought, let me just throw my hat in the ring and see if I can make some change. Right. That always seems to be a problem in areas that I've seen is, is people want change. But if you look around and there's trash on the ground and it's just not treated right, it's, uh, um, it's hard for the changes to happen around it. Yeah. To get to the core. No, I think that, I think that's absolutely right. You know, um, I thought Bladensburg had such promise. But when, you know, you ride around Bladensburg and there's trash or the park looks messy and it's, you know, um, just people didn't seem like they cared. Um, you know, it's hard to sort of then convince investors and other businesses to come into the town if in fact the town doesn't care for itself. Right, right. What was what was it like running for mayor? What did you have to do? What did that entail? <laughs> you know, a lot door knocking, um, you know, going out to the community, introducing myself, um, you know, because I, while I was somewhat active in the town, I certainly was not as well known as the incumbent and her, you know, her, her team, if you will. And um, so it was a lot of wearing a shoe leather, um, you know, doing mailings, getting out, getting out the literature in the town. Um, you know, because when you run in a in a small town, that that you know, it's about relationships and it's about building those relationships, and that's that's what I did, and um, we were able to win, and I carried that on. You know, I didn't stop. You know, to me, 
when you run for office, you never stop campaigning, right? You just, you're always in campaign mode. You don't say, okay, I won, I could, you know. And so I used to have a column in our, our town newsletter where I wrote to people and people responded to that. Um, I used to say, hey, the mayor's gonna be in your street at such and such a time. If, you, if your door is open or if your light is on, I'll come by. And um, that resonated with people. That's a, you know, people, people have such a negative connotation of the fact that politicians always have to be campaigning, but that's more of, that's a positive side of it that you don't hear very often because uh, you're out there talking to the people and, and that's where it's more about. I think when people hear campaigning constantly, it's usually more for the lobbyists and for other things like that, for the special interest groups. And that's why I would say anybody who runs for office, I, I know there's a, there's impatience, you know, so people try to, you know, their first office is running for Congress or running for, you know, Senate or something like that. And I always say that um, when people ask me, uh, how should I begin a political career? I always, you know, if you're in a incorporated area, um, start there because that's where you really learn. You get passionate around, you get to hear people, you get to know people. Um, and I think that that was the thing that made me effective because I started at a level where, you know, people used to see me in the grocery store and see me, you know, uh, all the time. If I can tell you a little funny story, I mean, one time I was um, in the uh, in the store and I was doing some work at home and I was, you know, I was looking kind of dingy and I was in my sweatpants and all this kind of stuff. And, um, Somebody came up to me and it's like, you know, oh, look a little dingy there, huh, Mayor? <laughs> you know, and but but that was, you know, that that's the kind of uh, you know thing that would happen. Um, and they would you know say it jokingly, but it just it 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 that was that was the kind of touch and that was the kind of relationship that I had with the residents. It wasn't a false relationship. I got you. I guess mayor of a small town, you were you were really part of the town. So yeah, yeah. Is it different now? How different is it now as far as the money you have to raise? Uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame because I think that what money does um, is some good people don't run because they're intimidated by the amount of money that you have to raise. So, you know, when you talk about, let's say, running for county executive, or even when I ran for county council, you know, I got like a couple, Ten thousand more dollars. That was okay, right? Uh, I think I raised maybe like forty thousand. But um, now you're talking about a hundred thousand dollars. You know the raise. I mean that's, and I, I have to tell you the, for me and ultimately that's why I really got out. I hated asking for money. I just, you know, because it was just this kind of quid pro quo notion to it that I just, I just hated, you know, and. Um, and so it's astronomical. And so if you don't have those connections to be able to raise the money, um, it, it just it just takes so many people out of the game. That's why I am for public financing in some respects of campaigns, because um, you know, in, in in the end, I think it brings more people uh, to the fray and 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 um, get better ideas. What would that do if it was? I don't. I don't fully understand how the financing or how the my fundraising works. All I know is I get uh, I get tons of emails every yeah, week. Right, everyone right. asking me for money. What would yeah. it do if, if it was just public financing? Would it? So, what public financing would say, and there would be, you know, there there would still be some money that you have to raise, but you wouldn't have to raise as much. So there'd be a threshold of how much you'd have to raise for public financing to kick in. 
Um, but at least what I think it does is it, it would even the playing field, right? So uh, the politics or, or someone who's an attractive candidate or not attractive candidate wouldn't be so determined by money. Um, and, and I think that's the I think that's what we see today that oh, if somebody has six hundred thousand dollars and you only have two hundred thousand dollars, oh, this person, oh, they they're gonna win because they got six hundred thousand dollars, and that's that's not the case at all, and it shouldn't be the case. It, it should be based on ideas, on experience, on what you're bringing to the table. Um, but I think our politics is so run by money that um, it it really brings in the kind of suspicion that you talked about earlier. Right. Is there any, have they ever talked about limiting the amount of money you can spend on a campaign? Is that even? Yeah, I think that's a good, and I think that's a good idea. You know, say, okay, if, you know, you can only raise, but so much, you know, so much money. Right. Um, I think anything that makes the, the process much more democratic, much more inclusive, even competitive. I mean, I didn't mind competitive races. Um, you know, I put my, my ideas and experience on the table, just like anybody else. But when we get like third parties and other parties that get involved in campaigns and try to influence campaigns, I, I think that that just gets away from exact, gets away from what we're trying to build as an inclusive democracy. Right. It would seem like even maybe just uh, you have to get a certain amount of signatures. I mean, how else do you represent the, right. the lower right. incomes? Because they don't have the right. money. So it's hard to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so because I think they're great people out there and they have great ideas. But certainly, you know, they just don't have the infrastructure, the wherewithal, to sort of, you know, mount a credible campaign. Right. That shouldn't, that shouldn't be. A lot of laws get passed where you include certain groups and then it's easy to bring in uh, the more powerful ones later on uh, into the press. I think, I, no, I think that's absolutely right. I, yeah, I, I could tell you of all the offices that I've been in, in, been in the, the, the one that I had, I think the most impact was being mayor. Um, I loved being mayor, and and um, because again, it, it was it was this tight knit constituency that I knew I had to, to work with, and and I was the first African American mayor, and so to sort of then begin to um, um, enliven a different sort of conversation around you know race and and gender and identity and. Um, and to be in the position of some some authority around that was was was, was wonderful. I, I'll never forget it. And, and had a great time being mayor of Bladensburg. Anything in particular, an accomplishment that uh, you look back on, proud of? Yeah, um, um, we had uh, our waterfront park. Um, we have a waterfront park off the Anacostia River, which is one of the most you know is one of the dirtiest rivers in the United States. Um, and unfortunately, and, and we worked very hard to really clean it up and um, to the help of park and planning and some pushing and nodding and arm twisting, uh, we, we were able to get a really nice waterfront park where, you know, Dematha and Elizabeth Seaton and other schools in the area started row teams. And, you know, we have a, we have a canoe, um, uh, people can go canoeing. Uh, I wouldn't recommend fishing. Um, <laughs> Um, but if you go down the Anacostia in between Bladensburg before you get to DC, you're almost into like this forest area where you see uh, the blue heron and turtles and things like that. And that to me, you know, every time I ride by that, that park, I mean, I just, you know, I, I just say, wow. And that's why I love being mayor. Again, you could get something done. You can envision it. You can get something done. 
And one of my most moving moments when the park was finished and one Sunday morning, and I, I drove into the park and then to see this, you know, because it's an urban, you know, it's an urban river and to see uh, this father playing with a boat with his son, that was just like very moving to me. Nice, nice. That's a, it's a, a outdoor space is so important. I mean, oh, it is, it is very important. So what got you, uh, what's the story from becoming the mayor to going into county council? Yeah, you know, for sure, this county, you have um, term limits. And so, you know, there are these, what I would call eight year political periods where like there's a slew of offices that are just open. And uh, the then county executive, Wayne Curry, you know, just um, called me and said, look, you know, I, I, I want you to run for county council. And, and uh, we talked about it for a long time. And, um, and so I decided to run and I did win. Uh, you know, once you win the primary, that's the toughest part. You win the primary, given, you know, then then the general election is pretty easy. What's the difference from from uh, the mayor to the county council? Um, you know, again, you know, so instead of like in Bladensburg, I was representing like close to 10,000. I mean, on the county council, I was you know, representing like 70,000, right? And they're almost, so there's, think about, uh, you know, there were, 10 different towns, almost like civic association and towns and what have you. And so the constituency is larger. Although, you know, I think that um, the county council, you can get a lot done. You know, for business, you can look at zoning issues, which I really became a student of. Um, you had some nonprofit dollars, and so you could give money to nonprofits. Um, so I, I really, you know, I really enjoyed that that part as well. And it's hard to sort of translate uh, what I found is I had, it was hard to translate what I did in the sense like in legislation I got passed to okay, so how did that influence your everyday life, right? You know, what you know, like I could when I was mayor, they could say, okay, if trash didn't get picked up, okay, I'm gonna get that trash picked up, or like a day like today, make sure our plows are out there, you know, getting getting helping people out their homes, you know. On the county council, I have a larger level we're working with, let's say, the Department of Public Works. But as a senator, you know, it's kind of like, okay, so what'd you do for me? <laughs> you know, and and you, you know, and, and I find that the higher people go to office, they start making stuff up. You know, oh well, I sponsored this bill that helps you do this. I sponsored that bill. Where like you know, you were there and it's like, you know, where was this person? This person wasn't even part of the conversation. You talking about? Just put you just put your name on something and yeah, you just put your name on something. I, I sponsored that. I fought for that bill. And all it is really is that somebody will come along or the, the lead spots will come along. Hey David, I'd like to have your name on this bill. Okay, just you know. <laughs> that's it it's i from what i've heard it's a lot of negotiations behind the scenes it is. Like if you get your name on this bill then i'll help you push <laughs> no that's right that's right and you know party politics is obviously much more intense than in the senate than it was on the county council and, and being mayor you know so you know there, there were definitely side republican and democrats and you know there were times yeah you, 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 you need the republicans to get your bill passed and they would need you to get the bill passed so um, so there was that level, you know, of negotiation as, as well. But you're right; it was just all about negotiation um, and getting getting something done was very difficult because a bill can almost die almost when you introduce it, right? Um, where in the county council, at least you knew that you would get a hearing, you know, and you would you get out in the public. But you know, you could write a piece of legislation that doesn't even get out to 
and what we used to say, get out the drawer. I mean, so, so it was tough. I mean, there is a piece of legislation is very complex. I mean, the amount of uh, it is the lingo of it, like the understanding of it. And uh, there's just so many moving parts. I, I think that's a great way of putting it. And because what, what you're doing is you're not, you're changing existing law, right? And so by changing the existing law, then what are the reverberations that happen by changing that law, right? And so, especially when you try to make um, earth moving legislation, you know, there's so many moving parts to it and everything that um, it's very, it's very hard to sometimes, you know, think that within a three month period that you can get, you can, you can change you know, legislation. And so sometimes it can take years. Like I, when I, I did some environmental justice work and um, it took me years to get legislation done. It, it's, it sounds even harder to get that stuff done now because somehow yeah. environmental has become such a political, <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is. And you would think that common sense things, you know, would get by. I remember you know, I put in the bill that I thought, oh, this makes a lot of sense. And, but you always have distractors and, and, you know, practically I had to water down the bill so much that because, you know, there was a constituency that was calling then, you know, my colleagues saying, you know, yeah, I know this sounds like a good bill and yeah, it's right, but it would cause us to do a lot more work. And, you know, so please don't vote for this bill and it wound up dying on the floor. Right. It's gotta be hard to differentiate too, when you're hearing from these constituents from the businesses or from the lobbyists like what they're what's truth and what they're just saying because it's going to hurt their their bottom line or um you know. no when my, when my phone you know, I always you know talk about this uh, but one of my funniest moments in the senate was um every uh every morning you know from monday to friday anyway uh, our offices were located several blocks away from where we would go to the senate gallery and um and, and so I used to love to walk outside because that would might be the only time I get to be outside because then once you deal with the gallery work, you go right into committee. And so you're inside like all the time. So this would be the one time, you know, I get to go outside, maybe breathe some fresh air, you know, for the whole day. So I go outside and there would be um, all <laughs> like these um lobbyists on each side of the street like stop you because lobbyists couldn't talk to you once you're in the gallery they were prohibited from talking to you so you'd be walking down the street you know and you're like senator harrington can i count on your vote can i do this senator harrington you're not gonna vote for this here's why you know and you you just get bombarded by these lobbyists right and and so it's kind of funny because i was always wondering when i first became a senator i always wondered you know well i don't see many senators walking up the street you know because they used to go to the tunnel right to, to get to the gallery but then I knew why, because you would just get like all the way up until literally you got to the two, like they would try to stop you from walking into the gallery and say, look, can I just get two seconds of your time? Can I, can I just wonder if I have your vote? You know, it's like, bro. And you'd just be plummeted with, with um, you know, uh, flyers and, and papers and things like that. So. Right. It, it must work sometimes if they keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it was the only way that, you know, besides, you know, setting up an appointment, you know, and you didn't like to meet with lobbyists alone, to be honest. I mean, you know, um, but, um, um, but yeah, I was sometimes the only contact that, you know, lobbyists would have with the legislature. And, um, 
them. <laughs> they 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 would they would work hard to get your attention. That's for sure. What did you have any thoughts or any solutions to the problems that we have with the influence of lobbyists, especially with environment and and uh, just uh, pushing fake narratives and? Yeah, yeah. Well, I look. Um, I tried to pride myself from you know being a legislator that studied right that really you know. Uh, looked at the issues. And um, I have to say, though, uh, one of my disappointments is that, you know, many of many of my former colleagues, and I, I, I suspect it's, um, it's even today, would, would just rely on lobbyists for information, right? I think the key thing, people think that, that the power of lobbyists is in the dollar. And, and there's some, you know, there's something to be said about that. But the power of lobbyists is, is that, you know, they have information. And that, and when you when you have thousands of pieces of legislation you know, that you got to go through, um, you know the lobbyist becomes a person who helps you shift through that, right? And and if you're not doing your own homework, then they have they have a lot more influence because that their job is to create the relationship where they can say, okay, look, I'll talk to Harrington. I got a good relationship with Harrington, right? And um, you know, they would try to bombard me with their information. And, and, but you got to have, you, you also got to have the knowledge base to push back sometimes. Because if you don't, then um, you, you'll just, you just get totally convinced by the lobbyists and then find yourself in a place where you're making uninformed decisions. Right. There's, there's just so many things you have to be an expert on. <laughs> like, it's a... Uh, I mean, oh, that's a good point. I've yeah. hearings recently and it's just the... Uh, Sometimes uh, the legislation people get behind that they're championing for, they're like, if you know anything about it, you realize they don't know anything and they're trying to act like they do or. Um, no, that's, that's absolutely right. And that's why you got to pick, you know, when you're, when you're at that level, you know, I was in the state Senate, but I can imagine it's true being in the House of Representatives and the federal level and the, uh, um, you know, Senator, um, is that you got to pick your core areas, right? You just can't like be an expert of everything, right? You got to pick. So for me, it was the environment, it was health, it was um, equity, you know, around, uh, you know, wealth. And, and that's that's where, you know, go to your other question. That's how I, I felt the chamber was a good sort of landing spot for me because I felt I could look at, you know, small business equity. So I became very familiar with those issues. Um, and others, you just, you know, you, you rely on colleagues. I, I served with Jamie Raskin. And so, um, you know, I would, Jamie and I, Jamie sat a few seats away from me. So on constitutional issues and other things, you know, I would say, Jamie, what do you think? You know, what, I should, what should I be doing here? And he'd, he'd, he'd like say, well, you know, here's, here's, here's what I want you to, you know, here's what I want you to do. And Jamie might ask me, hey, I see this environmental justice. What, what are you thinking? You know, so there's a lot of like, so this, you go to people who you know are the experts and then, you know, who you trust and, you know, you, you, you go, you go. Got you. Um, so what was one of your, uh, what, what's one thing you passed as a county council member uh, that you're really proud of? And you're not allowed to say the pawn shop stuff. By the way, anyone out there? <laughs> my dad, if my dad's watching this. <laughs> they passed a bunch of laws against the pawn shops. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We've moved on past it. And we've actually got. Yeah, we, yeah. We, <laughs> but uh, um, <laughs> no, I think one of, one of the things I was, I was most proud of in terms of legislation was that I put in a wellness zone. So I created, I literally drafted a, a zone that would allow communities 
to uh, look at improving their built environment uh, for the sake of then uh, making people healthier, right? So, um, you know, if you're gonna put in sidewalks, put in bike paths, make communities more walkable, provide grants so that, you know, healthier grocery stores move into communities. Because what we see in particularly in low-income communities, um, lack of access to healthier foods and, and uh, parks and what have you really are, are, more, are, are higher contributors to ill health than uh, access to you know, a doctor. And so um, that was one of the things and, that, and that's even, even uh, in today uh, where you know, there, there's a wellness component in the, in the zoning of Prince George's County, which you know, I, I drafted. Okay. I mean, you know, I, I live out in Rockville, Bethesda area, and then I have a giant behind me at one of my stores. But, you know, walking to that giant, walking to my giant here, it's very different. I mean, just the foods that are offered and, and um, it just, it's a very different, different thing. I'm not, I'm the disparities of what's offered between low-income communities, what's being offered, you know, you know the, the first thing that when you walk into some of the, you know, grocery stores, as you see, you know, the packaged food and the processed food, and so what I'd want to do is provide businesses with incentives to sort of do the kinds of things that would display healthier foods much more prominently than the processed foods. Um, so, um, you know, it's in the, you know, and, and that's why I'm in the, again, you know, instead of passing laws, you know, sometimes the regulations, I think that what incentives can we provide businesses that may help, you know, people, um, you know, to live, you know, healthier, optimum lives. Right. That's a, that's a good way to go about it. Cause sometimes there's definitely too many, too many regulations and rules. And that's, I, uh, that actually brings me to another question because so often you're judged by how many new regulations and rules you pass. And it's, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, that's one of the challenges I think we have now that I have with the legislature now it's that, you know, I had a, conversation with uh, some advocates that want to really do some things that I think will hurt business. And I said, well, why are you passing a law? Like, shouldn't the government be doing this already, right? Like, one of them was, you know, well, make sure that there's safe places with, with workers, you know, uh, you know, workers, you know, work. And um, I said, well, don't you have a department of, 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 commerce and the department of permitting and, and department of inspections that already do that, right? And so put in legislation to deal with a few bad actors instead of recognizing that most of the actors are, are really good and trying to help and trying to do the right thing, particularly in this pandemic. And you get this legislation like, okay, so <laughs> you're gonna hurt you're gonna hurt the very thing that we need to keep going on and that's business. I mean Right. So that's moving on to, so now you're, you're this, uh, the president of the Prince George's County Chamber of Commerce, which you've completely turned around since. Oh, thank you. Since thank I've you. been there. Yeah, it's been amazing to see, to see it grow and what it's turned into. Uh, but is it, and your wife owns a bakery now. So that's now right. you're essentially a small business owner, your wife is. I hear it every day, Michael, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I hear it every day. So did you, did she open today with the storm or was that a debate? I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, I hear her around the house right now. I've had a chance to, you know, talk to her because yeah, uh, she usually opens today, like in the afternoon. Okay. But, um, you know, with this kind of storm with ice and stuff, I'm going to see, see, see what she's going to do. 
Yeah, it was a lot of phone calls back and forth with my employees today. I want to make sure they're safe, but you want to open yeah. it. Money. Yeah. So it's it's, a, it's a, such a balance. But yeah. how how has running the chamber and owning your own small business changed your opinion maybe of regulations or changed your opinion of what yeah. it's like to run a small business? No, I, that, that's a great question. And it, it really changed it a lot because I see firsthand what my wife goes through, right? You know, getting her permits, getting her health you know, having health inspection, having WSSC, you know, the water people come in, you know, having having to pay her quarterly taxes, you know, having to work with, you know, making sure that she's in good standing, you know, and, uh, and, I, and I even help her in some of this because, you know, she's, you know, she, she has, she's a small business owner, you know, doesn't have a lot of staff. So it doesn't like, she has all the time in the world to sort of comply with these regulations. And it's, it's made me a lot more sensitive around, um, all the all the hurdles that you have to go through just to be a small business, and um, and we we have to. So being at the chamber at this point in my life is actually a, a, a great sort of point. You know, that, you know, my wife has a business, and like I said, I hear it every day. She, you know, as you know, you're a business, so mm-hmm. you're passionate about it, right? It's not it's not a just a activity. It's, it is it is your baby, and and to hear her. And hearing things that she has to go through, and hearing things she has to wait for, um, it's made me much more. It made me much more um, sensitive around than being being the president CEO of the chamber to help protect small business because it's really small business. It's not you know the giant stores, but it's really small business where people get their start in the workplace, right? Really understand the values and mores and ethos of being in the workplace and. Um, you hire, you know, you, you, you know, you, you bring people on and, and um, what is it? 70% of our workforce work in small business, right? Um, is it that high? Wow. It, so it's high, you know, it's not, it's not, we think we might think it's the corporations or what have you know, it's small business. And to the extent that we uh, stunt the growth of small business is we do it at our peril. Um, so, you know, being head of the chamber, having a small business lease with my family, um, talking to people like you, um, um, you know, and hearing you, I just think, you know, we've got to do, and it's it's not going to happen through just passing regulation after regulation after regulation. It's not, it's, 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 it's going to happen with creating a partnership of business to say, okay, look, how do we help you grow? Right. Uh, I, I just tell you a funny, quick story. I was on, there's a bill that's coming out and I was talking to the proponents of that bill, which I think would be harmful to small business. And one of the proponents, you know, I, I was, you know, we were pushing back on some of their arguments and then they were, they were agreeing to, they were open to it. Um, and one of the proponents said, well, you know, you got some people where uh, they're doing really well during this pandemic and the CEOs are just capturing them all the, you know, they're, they're making, you know, millions of dollars, you know, in their salaries and not helping business. And I said, well, let me tell you something. I don't know of a business from, you know, MGM to that is not living on the margins right now. And maybe may, there's a 2%, 3% margin at best. I, you know, if you're, if you're a CEO of a business right now, you're not, <laughs> you're not raking in the cash right now. You know, you're barely keeping your operations open, you know, certainly you're paying yourself a salary, but you know, I mean, it's not like, um, you know, oh, okay, let me go buy the, you know, let me go buy the Cadillac now, you know, it's just, it's just not happening. And, you know, but it's just, it's this warped view that we have of business um, 
that we just think that well, we got to constantly you know monitor them and keep an eye on them and I, I just think that 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 is a mistaken view and if we continue down that road then um, even if we come out of this pandemic we're going to be at a place where business is going to be so different that the job the job numbers are still not going to look you know the same so anyone going into politics what's some what's some good advice that you can give them if they're just starting and they're hmm. I, I would always say that um, start at the lowest level. Um, you know, again, if you're if you if you live in a uh, an area that is incorporated and has a town structure like a mayor or you know a city council, what have you, like start there, right? Because um, there you can make mistakes, and it's not as you know sort of uh, apparent. Um, um, so start start there. Um, and start with a purpose. You know, it's not just about um, whether or not you get notoriety. It, it's, it's about that you have, you are being introduced and creating relationships that are going to amass certain level of skills. There's nothing wrong with it's nothing wrong with ambition. I don't you know I don't, I don't think ambition is bad, but it's how where where that ambition leads. And, and um, you know, um, and the third thing I would say is um, make sure you talk to your family about it because it can be very taxing. I think the biggest mistake I made when I ran for mayor is that, you know, um, my wife and I didn't have a conversation, right? And and it took on a lot more than I thought it was going to, you know, late night meetings and um, weekend commitments. You know, my, my, my sons who are grown now talk about, yeah, I remember when daddy used to drag us to these meetings, you know? Um, um, so make sure that your family is included in, it in a way where, you know, they, they, they can endorse it. And um, you, you set some expectations around family time and also being out in the community. Got you. Um, I, I think, uh, I think I'm, I think I've asked you enough questions and kept enough of your time. I, I really appreciate oh, you. Doing this, David. So. No, thank you. Thank you for this. I really appreciate it, Michael. And keep up the great work. This is, this is important. And uh, so uh, glad to be a part of it.